Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today was born in Illinois, attended St. Andrew's School in Boca Raton, where he was the MVP in football and basketball. Also tried his hand at wrestling, where he placed fourth in the Florida State Collegiate Wrestling Competition. Listeners will know him as a martial artist, professional kickboxer, and action movie star. As a kickboxer, he scored 72 wins with 48 knockouts and won a total of 11 world titles. He's been featured in and on the cover of most major martial arts magazines. You've seen him in such classic movies as Blood Fist, Ring of Fire, Red Sun Rising, Batman Forever, Cyber Tracker, Say Anything, and so many more. Please welcome my guest today, Don the Dragon Wilson. How are you doing today, sir? Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for taking the time. I, I truly appreciate it. How we kick the show off, I want to go back to the beginning. I know you said you started kind of when you were 18, but I just want to know where that first spark came from. What led to your first interest in martial arts and kind of kicked off your martial arts journey? Well, as per your uh, introduction, I was an RE an athlete mm -hmm. and I was attending the Coast Guard Academy. I was 17 years old and I came home one day from, um, uh, you know, on leave for, in the Coast Guard Academy. And I, my brother and I used to box every now and then as young kids, teenagers. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to box but because he had become a black belt while I was, you know, I went to a prep school. You mentioned St. Andrews and and then I went to uh, the Coast Guard Academy. So I've been gone for a few years. He had become a black belt. And he said, Don, I'm going to spar you. You go ahead and box. And he said, I'm going to throw some kicks. And I, I had no respect for kicks. I, I, I said, yeah, do whatever you want. If you want to. First of all, I was 205 at the time. And he weighed maybe 145. Oh, wow. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. So I, I just thought I'd just be too big for him. And I just, you know, I just dominate him boxing. But literally, you, now think about it. I'm a white, not even a white belt. I'm a, I'm a no belt. And he's a black belt. So he literally kicked my butt in our, in our front yard when I was 17 years old. And I, when I went back to the Coast I tell people he made a believer out of me. When I went back to the Coast Guard Academy, I immediately went into their athletic director and I said, hey, do you have martial arts offered? And they said, yeah, we do. We have for all the cadets. It's uh, It was Goju and the teacher was Chuck Merriman. Nice. Okay. And uh, so I immediately enrolled in the karate at the age of 17 after getting my rear end hand into me by my brother. And then after I got out of the Coast Guard, I studied kung fu because my brother had a kung fu class now mm -hmm. people ask me they said oh you mean you didn't like japanese karate and, and kung fu is better and i said no it wasn't about better i said um i was very happy with my uh, uh goju instructor chuck merriman and, and and learning um traditional japanese karate i said but it would cost me money in florida and if i went to my brother's school it's free so that was my choice but it did turn out though brian it did turn out that the, the pylum kung fu uh, Daniel K. Pai was a living master. You know, he was his family's style and he was uh, alive and he he was very open minded and he believed in me training under, you know, I went to taekwondo schools. I went to boxing um, gyms and he let me learn from everybody. 
Because wow. he believed like Bruce Lee, study everything, and then you'll have your, in the end you'll have your own personal style. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's pretty much now we call it MMA, right? But that's pretty much what people generally believe today. But it was bl- blasphemy in the '60s and '70s when when I started and when mm-hmm. Bruce Lee was alive. You're supposed to study one style and never diverge from that. Yep. But I started early on. I started with Goju and then went to Kung Fu. And uh, from that day on, I. I studied everything I could get, I could experience. So that first bit when you were in Goju, did you get into the competition side at that point or did that come later? No, that came later. That came later. No, I I, I was just a beginner. I had to study for a year at the Coast Guard Academy because when we got out of Vietnam, I got out of the Coast Guard Academy. Okay. Yeah. If I had stayed one more year, I wouldn't have been able to get out. I'd have to serve the, um, finish out my four-year degree and then serve five, five or six years was required after you get your degree. So, uh, yeah, and, and I wasn't happy with the military lifestyle. I didn't like wearing the uniform every day. And I don't know. It just <laughs> Not for everybody. Yeah, when we got, <laughs> got out of Vietnam. I got out of the Coast Guard. <laughs> so now did you get involved in the competition at all before you got into kickboxing? Yes. I was a point fighter. Yeah. You did. Okay. Fighter. And I loved point fighting. It was a lot of fun, but, um, I wasn't as good at it as I was in kickboxing. <laughs> yeah. But well, that, that, you know, the things that I had the advantage were the physical, you know, my conditioning. I ran six miles every day. So my heart and lungs, you know, my cardiovascular was up. Mm -hmm. I lifted weights. You know, I was strong. I played, I was a middle linebacker. Like you said, I was the MVP of my high school football and I was the MVP of the basketball team. You know, I was a natural athlete. So that stuff didn't come into play for me as a point fighter. I was okay as a point fighter, but once I got into kickboxing, and we were fighting 10 and 12 rounds. Well, then all my athletic uh, experience came into play and I, and I was able to excel really quickly. Okay. I, I definitely want to get to the kickboxing, but really quick on the point fighting. Do you remember your first ever competition? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was the battle of Atlanta. First really? tournament I ever as a white belt. And uh, I, I, here's the things I remember. I remember the uh, heavyweight division. Um, I don't know if I won it, but I, I don't remember if I won it, but um, the head referee was a guy named Larry Reinhardt. Yeah, I, I still have some memories of the very first competition I ever entered in, and it, and it was the Battle of Atlanta. That's cool. Yeah, that's I've I've never it's, been to that one. I've, I've been, yeah, it's a it's huge a tournament. tournament. Been to the Diamond Nationals, never been to the Battle of Atlanta. Yeah, the Nationals another big. One. Then there's U.S. Open, which is in Florida, which yep. I've been to that one. Okay. And then uh, John Kachivas had a big tournament uh, in Miami, and uh, that's that one's been around so long. Chuck Norris used to fight in that one. Oh wow. Now, did you ever get involved in forms or weapons competition or strictly sparring? Well, now that you bring it up, uh, I was better at forms than I was at fighting. Really? Yeah. From white belt to black belt, I never failed to place first, second, or third in forms. Nice. But I would start to fight and I'd lose my first fight. <laughs> you know, guys, <laughs> the very first fight. But when it comes to, you know, they call it kata in Japan, but we call it forms in yep. Kung Fu. I never failed to place first, second, or third in white belt, green belt, brown belt, to black belt. As a uh, traditional martial arts competitor, I was better at forms than fighting. That's kind of cool. I mean, that's something. And, and that's, you know. Well, I don't really think about it, but but I got a lot of value of it. I mean, that, that your coordination, your mm-hmm. uh, control of your body, your relaxation, your, your flexibility, you know, a lot of uh, qualities that make you a better fighter, you have to have as a forms competitor. Jet Li was a forms competitor mainly, but Jet Li... True. Uh, this some wushu fighting, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, do you have doubt that Jet Li could take out the normal guy? If oh, they yeah. tried to take his well? <laughs> No problem. Yeah, he's got the skills. You know, he's got the, the, the control over his feet and hands. Yeah. So then what was it? I mean, you, you, you didn't do that well in sparring. So then what made, what, what was it that popped into your head that said, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm not that good at this. Maybe I want to do professional fighting. 
<laughs> I'm just trying to wrap my head around that. <laughs> I had no interest in professional fighting. Oh, okay. Uh, college, I was I graduated from a BCC, a, a junior college. Mm-hmm. That's where I left the card. And I was going to go to FIT, Florida Institute of Technology. And I get a phone call from my brother. And he said, hey, Don, because my brother was already promoted. He promoted karate tournaments. It was okay. called uh, the Space Coast Open. It's a pretty big tournament in the state of Florida. But not a big national thing. Right. But but it was a decent tournament called the Space Coast Open, and it was in Cocoa, Florida. Well, he said he wanted to promote kickboxing. Would I be a fighter? And I go, absolutely. It sounded, you know, well, we didn't call it kickboxing. We called it full contact karate. Okay. On foam pads, no boxing gloves. There was no ring. My very first fight, we fought on a concrete floor. Wow. Now, imagine this. You get knocked out. You're out when the guy hits you. And now your head is, I'm six feet tall. My head would fall six feet on the concrete. Mm. Dang. People would have died. Luckily, that first fight, because it's the first fights in the state of Florida on a concrete floor in Orlando, Florida, nobody got knocked out. Otherwise, somebody would have died. They would have died, yes. But um, but what ended up happening is after that fight, the fights went to mats. We fought on mats. Then they finally, they, you know, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Boxers fight in rings. Then kickboxers started fighting in rings. Mm-hmm. And we went to the generic thing from full contact karate. We called it kickboxing because that that's what really what it is you're boxing and kicking it's more accurate yeah it's not real karate because you think of real karate you think of gouging people's eyes out (laughs) grabbing the groin and you know so it it was a um the time not sanctioned by athletic commissions but um you know within once it was on tv and money real money started coming in and i you know i fought the first fight on espn that was 1979 and uh, ESPN then bought a fight a week from the Professional Karate Association. Wow. So now they're making tons of money on ESPN every week. They have a weekly show of kickboxing. And uh, that happened for years. I don't know how many years, but quite a few, quite a few years. Remember how many, how many of those you got to fight on? At least 20. Wow. At least 20. That's cool. So, yeah. Like that. Yeah. Uh, I was, um, uh, you know, made a, became a uh, number one contender for Bill Wallace's title. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he retired, uh, it was 1980. Because I won my title in 1980. Yeah, he, so Bill must have retired. He fought from 74 to 80. That's six years of fighting. He was a champion for six years. And uh, instead of fighting for the PKA, though, I fought for the WKA because the WKA had fights in Japan. Ah. And I won it in Japan. Okay. So that was the big thing for me for the choice of PKA or WKA title. Um, now, the WKA was more in Europe and Japan because they allowed leg kicks. Ah, and okay. P- to this day, the PKA never allowed leg kicks. Really? But, you know, martial artists all over the world know that if you get into a street fight, the easiest thing to do is just kick the guy in the shin. Yep. I mean, kick him with your shin in the thigh. It's easy. It's safe. Mm-hmm. It, it, you don't go for the fancy looking head kicks. <laughs> no. Nope. You know, it's just as easy to kick the leg. And it, it, nobody knows how to block it. You have to train yeah. to, to block a leg. And, um, yeah, so it didn't make sense. I just think, you know, Joe and uh, the guy in Don Quine, the guys who started the PK, thought it looks flashier to kick somebody in the head, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's they thought it looked like dirty fighting to have grown men kicking each other in the legs. And so they, they went with the no leg kicks allowed. But, you know, I, I think um, now there there's two different versions of kickboxing. They still have the full contact style. Yep. And uh, I, I fought under all the styles. If they'd had MMA, I would have done that because I was a wrestler in college. And uh, I would just learn jiu-jitsu and submission. And then I would have been an MMA fighter, you know, because I had the punch and the kicking. Yep. I did that for 28 years. So all I'd have to do is add the grappling. But, you know, I, I was just basically too old. I was too old to start when the sport started. It was in the 90s, and I'd been retired for years. Yeah. You know, so uh, as my prime as an athlete was 1984. Mm-hmm. I was fighter of the year, Black Belt Magazine's fighter of the year. 
And I did retire in 84, moved out to LA in 85 to pursue a career as an actor. Mm -hmm. So during your fighting career, were you still also training in traditional martial arts or were you focused mainly on training for fights? I only did the fighting. Okay. I, I quit working arms and self-defense and that, yeah, because you know, you, you only have so many hours in a day and mm -hmm. your opponent is training. You, you know, I, 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 people said, you Don, my style of sports is I have tunnel vision. When I was training in football during football season, it was all about football. Put on the weight every week, two or five. Then basketball season would come around. I dropped 30, 40 pounds. Jeez. Drop down. I play, yeah, I shoot for 40 points a, a game as a, as a guard. And, uh, was the MVP of my high school football team. MVP of, I was a middle linebacker in the um, high school for the, when I was a senior. And literally, I've stopped the entire offense by myself. I made three tackles in a row. Wow. In one, in one thing. Yeah. I, I actually yelled at my other defensive players. I was the defensive captain. And I said, hey, man, I, I could use a little help out here. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just some flukes. I, if anything, I, I think the other side was just trying to prove because I got a reputation. You know, when, when you're the MVP and, you, and you're the middle linebacker, uh, they were going to prove that I, because I just stopped. There, there was no ground game up the middle on my team. I just put a stop to it. You know, right. I, I, I had a reputation in, in South Florida where I played and um, yeah, but they, they thought they could um, break down the morale of our team if they could get a first down right over me. Mm -hmm. so they literally had the ball come up three times up the middle and I stopped them all three times. Wow. So I looked at my other teammates and said, Hey, somebody, there's 11 of us out here. One of you guys help me get a tackle. <laughs> nice. Now you, you mentioned Hollywood. Now what, was that something you decided to go seek out or oh, did they come to you? I blame it all on Chuck. He went to my <laughs> fight in um, uh, West Palm Beach auditorium. And at that fight, Bill Wallace had already worked with Chuck in a movie called Force of One. He did a movie called Force of One with Chuck. So they were good friends. So uh, Bill said, uh, let's go up to Chuck's uh, hotel room. And so we did. And I, I, in Chuck's hotel room after my fight, he said, Don, you should think about moving out to L.A., getting an agent, enrolling in acting classes and things. He said, become an actor and it'll be your second career because he said it is great for me. He goes, Bruce Lee put me in a movie and I've had a great second career. Now, this is way before Walker. You know, we're talking 1979, 1980. Yep. So Chuck was doing uh, movies for a company called Canon Films. Oh, yeah. He was a, a pretty big star in the independent films. And and uh, so it was, it was Chuck because although some other people mentioned to me, maybe you should think about movies. And I, I don't even know why they think I would do it because I never had an acting lesson in my life. I never appeared in a movie. I'm living in Florida. That's about as far as you can get from Hollywood. And um, But Chuck's, when Chuck suggested it, Brian, I thought, you know, he knows what he's talking about. And then maybe it is something I could do. So I moved out to L.A. Of course, and I retired. It was, this is 1985. And I found out very quickly they're not looking for six-foot-tall Asians with Southern accents. <laughs> and so I came out of retirement for the money. I needed the money. I couldn't stay out in L.A. I, I went through all the money that I had saved as a fighter. And so I started fighting again. So then for several years, I fought and pursued my career as an actor. And when I started my first film, 1988, was uh, Blood Fist. So much money was coming in that for me to take the time off to train for a fight, I'd lose money. And I told everybody, I said, man, you know what? When you're losing money to do something, that's not a career. That's called a hobby. Yep. I said, kickboxing was my hobby. And I said, it's expensive one because I could have shot a, in the uh, six weeks I trained for the fight. I could have made a movie. So that I retired again. That was my second retirement. <laughs> And um, I didn't fight until 1999. I get a fight offer from Viewer's Choice. They were the biggest pay-per-view. They do the Tyson fights, Holofields, and 
and they they offered me a, a great deal. My my attorney was Henry Holmes, and he represented George Foreman, Hulk Hogan. Uh, he, you know, he knew pay per view, and he said, "Don, this is a great deal. You get twelve percent of the pay per view." So I came out of retirement again, and this is we're talking nineteen ninety eight, ninety nine, around then. Mm-hmm. And I ended up fighting three more fights. And then my final fight was 2002, which was at Tropicana Atlantic City. I won by knockout with four seconds left in the 10th round. Wow. So that's pretty lucky. And matter of fact, you know, I, I hired boxing trainers at the time uh, to work my corner. And I had Ken Norton's former trainer in my corner. He jumped in the ring. He goes, Don, you got to retire from fighting. He says, you used up all your luck. <laughs> I might have lost the decision. It was the guy's hometown. He had fought there as many of that many years. He was quite a bit younger than me, and it was a close fight. I got to, I went into the fight with a broken rib. I had broke my rib in training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, what I didn't realize is when you're 48 years old, you don't have the calcium you had as a young guy. So my a sparring partner hit me in the rib and broke it. So I went into that fight, 10-round fight, with a broken rib. And it was tough. It was I couldn't take a deep breath. And luckily for me, I fought the dumbest opponent. You cannot fight a 48-year-old man and never throw a body shot. <laughs> One body shot, he would have been the I would have lost the fight. But he never did. Wow. <laughs> he went 10 rounds. He was a headhunter. He tried to knock me out, but it didn't work. You know, and I, I ended up winning by decision. Oh, no, wait, excuse me. I, I dropped him and knocked him out. He, there was four seconds left in the clock. Yeah. So I did I did knock him out. That's but, um, yeah, my, my last fight, I, I, I won by knockout with four seconds left on the clock. That's pretty lucky. Mm-hmm. So then talk about the first movie then. How, how did the first movie come well, about? Well, never did it happen for me. Okay. Because here's what happening i was going in an audition for everything and nobody was hiring me you know nobody was getting me so i um come home one day and i hit my answer machine it says hello my name is roger corman i'm a producer and i'm going to do a movie and i'd like you to come in if you're the don wilson this kickboxing champion i'd like you to come in and read for this movie now the way he got my number was he went to his casting director and said get me some real kickboxers that live in la nice so he wanted to audition real kickboxers because he thought van damme was a real kickboxer Mm -hmm. so he wanted a world champion and uh, I guess either Black Belt Magazine or Inside Kung Fu, one of the magazines told him there's a guy named Don Wilson and he lives in Beverly Hills, you know, and, and at the time I listed my phone number. <laughs> I listed my phone number, you know, we, I did that in those days. Yep. And so uh, they just went to the phone book and called all, I, I don't know how many Don Wilsons live in Beverly Hills. <laughs> and there's a house. I had an apartment, we call it the ghettos of Beverly Hills. I lived in a, but a nice apartment. They don't have bad apartments in Beverly Hills. But I lived in an apartment in Beverly Hills at the time. And he said, my name's Roger Corn. would you come read for this movie? Now, Brian, when I when they first saw my face, now they didn't know what I looked like. When they saw my face, they said, "Oh, we're sorry, this is our Caucasian lead." The brother's already been picked, and the brother is white, and you know they weren't looking for Asians that look like me because they have they're shooting in the Philippines, and they got plenty of guys who look like me in the Philippines, right? They're not going to fly me there. <laughs> yeah. So I got what they call in Hollywood a courtesy read, like, "Well, you're here, so we'll just let you read anyway." But you know we don't think you're right for it, but just I'll sit through it just because you showed up. So I go in there and I read for this casting director. One scene we do, and he looks at me and he goes, I'll be right back. He leaves his office and he says, when he comes back, he goes, Roger Corman wants to meet you. Now, I've never heard of the guy. Mm-hmm. And it's lucky for me because I would have been nervous. I mean, that guy made a bunch of, he made James Cameron's career, gave his first job, yep. Stallone, uh, Robert De Niro, Jack Nicholson. I mean, he just is a guy who starts people's careers. Yeah. But I didn't know that. Luckily for me, I didn't know it. So I go into this office and he says, tell me about yourself. And I told him I was a kickboxer and Chuck Norris suggested I come into Hollywood. So I'm out here now trying to be an actor. So he said, would you read for me? And so I start doing the scene with the casting director and I literally couldn't get out more than four lines and he stops me. Now, usually that means you're so bad that he doesn't want to waste one more minute on you. <laughs> he wants to see the next guy now, you know, when they stop you in the middle of the audition. 
But what had happened was Roger Corman had seen enough. He grabs the script and he hands it to me. He said, you leave for the Philippines in two weeks. Wow. I got it, bro, with like four lines of dialogue. Now, actors in Hollywood, you know, famous ones, big, big actors, you know, because my best friend was Chris Penn. So Chris and Sean know, knew everybody in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So I was right in with all the they always ask me, what scene was it? How did you get the starring role in the movie from Roger Corman? And I said, it's the only scene, that level of my career, that I could have possibly done well. And it's a scene where I find out that the guy that I hired to train me for this tournament murdered my brother. And, and I did the first lesson they teach you in acting class is if you don't know how your character would um, play a scene, just go do the what if school of acting. And John Cusack told me this, and he's one of my longtime friends in Hollywood. Yep. He said, Don, do the what if school of acting. He said, what if that happened to you? So I looked at the casting director and I thought, what if this guy killed my brother? And I don't know what happened, Brian, but I knock on wood because I would not have a career if not for this wow. moment. Somehow I got into my game face and I looked at that casting director like I was going to kill him. <laughs> because my mind murdered my brother. And the look you have for a guy that killed your brother, and I'm very close to my brother. It's the only sibling I have. And we're a year and a half apart. He was my Kung Fu instructor. And, you know, he might be my manager when I was a fighter. So, mm -hmm. so you couldn't get any closer. Two brothers can't get much closer. And for 30 seconds, I was going to kill that casting director that I was reading with. And Roger could see it on my face. And he, I tell people to this day, I said, I fooled Roger Corman. He thought I could act. <laughs> Well, listen, listen, I did good enough, but this was a big hit, yep. and I did good enough. We did eight blood fists, and yeah. I ended up starring in movies, and uh, I've appeared probably 70, you know, because I, I, I now, I get paid more now to do one scene in a movie than I used to to work for three months on a movie. Wow. You know? Yeah, yeah, my, I even called my agent once. I, me and Billy Zane were appearing in a, a scene for this um, science fiction movie, mm -hmm. and I called my agent, and they were, they were paying me literally three times what I used to get paid. And I called my agent, I said, why, why am I getting all this money? He said, well done, this is a bigger budget movie, and Billy Zane doesn't want to work working with a no-name actor, so you've got a recognizable name. And the truth is, I had met him twice. Mm -hmm. Hey, well, if we get you Don Wilson, is that a good guy to do this? Because what it was, is it was an Asian businessman. He's a, Billy Zane's a, a mad scientist. <laughs> and the Asian businessman comes in. He thinks I'm there to kill him. So he has me killed. So it's kind of a weird thing, but they must have said some Japanese or some Asian looking actors names. But when they popped up with my name, Billy Zane, I, I'm, I'm thinking I got that part because of Billy Zane said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know Don Wilson. Yeah, I'd love to work with him. Because we had we met at Sean Penn's house the okay. first time. Then the second time, uh, he was doing a movie for Roger Corman. And, um, you know, I don't know if you know Billy Zane, but he played the bad guy in the Titanic. Yes. You know, I don't know if they ever met at Roger's because James Cameron worked for Roger for years. You know, mm -hmm. he, he started with Roger Corman. So I don't know if he even, but maybe he just, you know, just they did a casting or something. But he ended up being the bad guy in the Titanic. But um, Did you meet yeah. Chris Penn through martial arts or did you meet him yes. th through a movie? He was martial arts with a friend of mine named Jerry Blank. Okay. Jerry Blank was a kickboxer, Bantamweight kickboxer. My brother managed Jerry. That's the connection. Jerry's from Florida. I'm from Florida. We both knew each other as fighters. And then Jerry moved to L.A. Okay. And uh, he had his school in Malibu. So I met Chris Penn and Charlie Sheen on the same day. Nice. Yeah, Chris and I sparred. I stayed at his parents' house. And you know, we, he became my best friend. When I moved out to L.A., we were best friends. We, did, we even lived together in his uh, condo in Santa Monica for uh, one year. But we, we really got to know each other. And That's we've done cool. several things together. And I was the last guy to talk to him before he passed away. Oh, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. He was such a talent, such a great actor. He had not done his best work. He was now, good. He, weighed, and he was overweight. He had done a lot of cocaine in the 80s. Like, like all the actors out here, we were all doing it when I moved here. They did a lot of cocaine, and um, it damaged his heart. And at the time he died, he was 310. 
Wow. Uh, he, so he was overweight, had a heart attack. It was it was very sad. Yeah. Very sad. Now you also mentioned uh, John Cusack, and you you got to you got to spar him a little bit and say anything, which is one of my all time favorite movies. Well, the, the, what, the way that movie came about was that that script was written for Chris Penn. That's why the guy was a kickboxer because Chris was studying kickboxing, and Cameron Crowe wrote it for Chris. And when he saw Chris and they started talking, Cameron thought Chris looked too old. He didn't look like a high school kid. Mm-hmm. So I don't know who suggested John Cusack. I had met him one time before that, but uh, I don't think I was the first. That was the first name that popped to my head. But whatever happened, Cameron Crowe asked me if I would train him because John Cusack knew nothing about kickboxing. So I started training John Cusack. And then after he did the show, he loved kickboxing. He hired Benny Urquidez yep. and Benny became his uh, private instructor. You know, wherever he was in L.A., he would train with Benny. In fact, matter of fact, he used to take Benny with him when he does movies and stuff. Yeah, that's, what, that's to, what Benny said. That's cool. Yeah, he he worked with um, Benny for many years, but but he was good. When I worked with him, he picked it up fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Benny he, told a story that he he actually thought John could have been a a pro fighter if he wanted to be because he was that dedicated and and did it well enough. Look, there's no doubt in my mind. Yes, he easily could have been a successful pro fighter, but. You know, would that be a smart thing to do? I don't think so. He's a great actor. He's a great actor. Oh, he's one of my all-time favorite actors. Yeah, I love it. Any any movie, if John Cusack's in it, I will watch it. High Fidelity, you know, Say Anything. I just watched Girls Point Blank with my daughter a few weeks ago. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was when he, I think it's one of the first ones he produced. Yeah. So now you, I mean, you obviously have got, you know, throughout your movie career, got to work with so many other great martial artists and stuff and, and which is just cool. I mean, how many times did you get to work with Cynthia? Yeah, I bet you we've been in six movies together wow. at least. That's cool. We had the same agent. We had the same Ray Cavalieri who passed away a year ago. But, uh, he, we, Cynthia and I, but we, we worked together later in our careers, not when we were coming up. Yeah. Here's the way it worked. In the old days, if I signed to do a movie, that's all they needed. They get instant distribution worldwide. If Cynthia signed, they, so to get us both in the movies is cost double the amount of money. You know, and um, yeah, it is, it, and you don't get a bigger audience. It's the same audience watching Cynthia's movies, watch mine. Right. So that's why you didn't see. But today, because Stallone proved it, when you put a bunch of stars in one movie, mm-hmm. then all the action fans will support it. Yes. And um, that's what's happening with Cynthia's movies. She's got a movie called Black Creek, and she's wanted as many martial art actors in it as possible. I'm in it, and who else? Richard Norton, um, Billy Blanks, I think. Billy Blanks. Yep. Yeah, just about everybody. Yeah. We're almost all Olivier Gruner. I mean, I'm, I'm excited for that one. That's going to be a great movie. Yeah, well, listen, it's not a realistic movie in this sense. It's a drama because, you know, it's it's a dark movie. It's a dark. Her sister is murdered in the opening scene, so okay. she's got to get revenge. So that's dark, right? That's not a funny. It's not a comedy. Right. But it's like John Wick. John Wick is not really Earth. You know what I mean? He's sitting there and there's a crowd of people and then all of a sudden all of them stop moving. <laughs> It's not Earth. Yeah. It's it's some alternate realities. It's like they say. Well, they say they've discovered eleven different dimensions already. With that, using that particle collider at CERN, I guess they call it. Yep. Switzerland or something. They said there's more dimensions than the ones we're living in, and um, this is similar to that. The, the idea of this movie is everybody knows martial arts in this Western. So I am a uh, part Indian, part Chinese guy, kind of like a David Carradine character. Okay. Who finds her wounded and dying, and I, I basically my character brings her back to life, and then uh, becomes her martial art instructor when I find out she needs to go get revenge on these people that killed her sister. Nice. So, uh, yeah, but I got a good role. We were shooting it in Arizona, and um, yeah, it's Cynthia's first time she's done this. I've done it many times where I've had an idea, hired a writer, and raised the money, and made movies. I've mm-hmm. done many, many seventeen, eighteen movies that way, but this is the first time she's done it. Yeah. So I'm trying to support her and 
we're, we're all, you know, hoping that it, it becomes a success for her. And I, and I love what she's doing, how she's giving like basically fans an opportunity to be, to take part in the movie. That's, oh yeah. yeah. That's, that's huge. Well, yes. They, they, I, I'm doing fight scenes with people and she's, she's got a million and one different things we're doing. <laughs> Everybody wants to help her with yeah. this first movie producing. And, um, yeah. And, and like I said, it's, it's a good character for me. So as a professional, it's not like she's asking me to, you know, uh, do something that's not good for my career. Right. It, you know, I tell people work turns into work. It's better to be working than not working. Yeah. So with yeah, the, with, uh, with the industry, like it is today, like how hard is it going to be like for a movie like that to actually get it in, into a theatrical release versus just going to streaming? Like so many movies do nowadays. No Listen, theatrical releases make a profit for a very small number of films. Right. Most films get released in theaters as a form of advertising for the DVD, for the streaming and all that. A movie at the, this budget doesn't need a theatrical release. We, okay. we, we release, she's going to release it on, let's just say on Amazon, something like that. Mm-hmm. And they direct the traffic to it. People come, it pops up, they look at the trailer, they go, hey, look, there's a, there's a ton of martial artists. You know, it's like Expendables. Let's watch this. Mm-hmm. Nobody has to pay money. They're, they're advertisers that pay money for every click. So and I don't know. It's not big money. It's something like 30 cents or something. I don't know yeah. how much they get every time somebody watches it. But if a million people watch it, you know, and a million is not a big number for a movie. You know, I mean, my movie show on TV, I mean, I get millions and millions of people. I, I had four HBO world premiere and HBO's in, in many millions of homes. And uh, yeah, I, it was um, Red Sun Rising was my best uh, HBO yes. premiere. And that one, was, uh, I think it was either one or two. It was like at the top of all cable shows the year it came or the week it came out red sun rising you know so um yeah so so these movies don't have to have theatrical release and this one's not designed for it and if they did do it it would only be to advertise the movie right but i think advertising people see all our names on there and they've seen my movies and cynthia's movies and richard norton's and olivia gruner's billy blanks is even in (laughs) i mean it's got it's got plenty of um popularity amongst the martial art action fans definitely so looking through your movie list now obviously like you said you admitted eight eight blood fists you made a couple cyber trackers is there one that you've made where you'd love to that didn't get a sequel that you'd love to revisit that character and play him again yeah i wouldn't mind doing the uh there's a guy a character called jimmy boland i think is he was from uh forced to fight with richard roundtree oh okay prison movie i was in prison it, it was actually Blood Fist Three. It was my third film for Corman, uh, Blood Fist Three, and um, yeah, that that was a it was a character that dealt with in those days. It was it, they were they were hot topics, but it's even today. Maybe it would even be more popular. But it was um, there's a black gang, a white gang, then an Asian in a prison. So I didn't have any game, so I had to fight both sides. And what happened was the black gang leader and the white gang leader get together to try to take me out. And uh, that was a good character. It's a good story. A lot of drama. And I, I, when the movie ended, I'm still in prison. So we could start the movie with me getting out. <laughs> okay. That could yeah. be cool. Yeah. What happened was, though, a Chinese producer who only makes movies, in, as far as I know, in China, Beijing, because he bought the rights from Corman just before the pandemic mm-hmm. for uh, the Blood Fist whole series. And he bought the rights and he was going to do a TV series in Beijing. And I agreed to do it. Uh-huh. And then... Uh, what happened was, this was before the pandemic, Trump started kind of like a pseudo trade war with China. And then that was the end of the series. The Chinese government said no American, they didn't want any American actors coming to Beijing. Mm-hmm. So that, that cut me out. But but he could easily get picked up again, a Bloodfist series, and it'd be shot out of Beijing. And then all my friends, I'd fly them over there 
you know, they appear in it. They don't have to go for a week to you shoot a whole series or a whole episode in a week. You know, I, I, I was in one of the episodes of uh, Chuck's uh, series, uh, Walker. Walker, and we, we shot in a week. And um, that's why they do TV. I was actually going to ask you about that because I know you were in an episode of Walker. I was going to ask if TV would ever interest you, and you kind of just answered that. So, yeah, well, I, I've been offered TV shows, and I, I turned most of them down. And the the couple that I did go for, they they were canceled because of outside my control. Okay, one was not New York City. It was going to be me and uh, an actor named Dean Kane. I don't know if you remember oh, him. Yeah, he, Superman. Yeah, he played Superman. Yep. But you know, he's one quarter Asian. He's one quarter Japanese. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he is. Yeah, and, and so, uh, and I'm half. So he was going to play my son. Oh, excuse me. Wait a minute. He was going to be my younger brother. Okay. Uh, he was going to be a New York cop. And um, anyway, that series was canceled because of 9-11. It, it was shit <sighs> going to take place in uh, New York City. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah, 9-11 just shut everything down, and that was the end of it. It was the William Morris Agency was the agency handling it. And, uh, uh, yeah, that was – so I've had series and come close to doing them. Okay. And through reasons outside of my control, they were canceled. Okay. And But I'd love to do TV because, you know, it was a big success for Chuck, eight years. Yeah. Walker. Yeah. yeah it was a great show. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious now, you, you, you talked about it a little bit and, and I know you, you commentated a handful of the UFC. So I'm just, uh, what are your thoughts overall on, on MMA? And is that something you're a fan of? Oh yeah. 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 Of course. It's just any sport that helps your martial arts is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Cause I tell people I'm not a kickboxer. I'm a Kung Fu stylist. I use kickboxing to improve my striking ability and defense against strikes. And I believe it did improve me as a, as a martial artist, but I'm not a kickboxer. I mean, I'm a martial artist and MMA is the same thing. It's just, it's just a sport. It's not actual. So present an MMA guy. It's on YouTube. You can watch it. And he gets into like a, a video. You see him get into an argument with a guy in a seven 11. And so the MMA guy does, you know, they, the guy goes, okay, let's take it outside. So the MMA guy goes outside and I don't know who he is. He's, he's, he's not, I don't believe a champion, but I mean, highly rated. Mm-hmm. And um, he goes out there ready to fight the guy, right? And right, right on the video, because this is the outside video now, picking this up. A guy comes with a two by four, hits him on the back of the head, knocks him out. Jeez, <laughs> wow! That's what I MMA. MMA. There's no rules on the street. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he can physically be submit the guy and choke the guy out and all. But what if that guy would have pulled a gun out of his back pocket? Yep. Anything. It's not self-defense. You know, you've got to be aware. You don't do that, first of all. He went out there, and you can see on the video, the guy had a long run-up to him, mm-hmm. and he didn't realize it. You've got to be aware of your environment. You yeah. know, these are basic self-defense. I don't know what, what his uh, martial art background was, that particular MMA guy, mm-hmm. but I know this. The sport of MMA is like the sport of kickboxing. I can't get into a street fight and think that there's going to be a referee, two-minute time limit. I get a minute rest every 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 two minutes. Right. It's kickboxing. I did excel in kickboxing. Won a lot of world titles, made a lot of money. That's not self-defense. They asked Bruce Lee. I'm a big Bruce Lee fan. What's your most dangerous technique? He didn't say a sidekick, right hook, left, straight left. He said his eye gouging. Because he said he's fast. He works on it. He does two-finger push-ups, so he's got tension he can put on his fingers. He's faster than me. I think he might take my eyes out. I get anywhere close to him, and that's the only thing he's doing is going for my eyes. He might get him. And you know what? I do not work the heavy bag wearing blindfold. <laughs> if Bruce Lee takes your eyes out, you're done. Exactly. No matter how big you are, no matter how many kickboxing matches you want, no matter how many MMA fans, and, and you know, MMA guys go, um, well, yeah, I could gouge his eyes too. Well, you know what? Okay, then. It's equal. But, you know, Bruce Lee worked on eye gouging. Mm-hmm. I never see MMA guys do two-finger push-ups. Right. Bruce Lee would do the two-finger push-ups. One arm would be behind his back. He would get it with two, literally two fingers. So I, I don't know how guys condition themselves so that they can do these uh, finger jabs mm-hmm. accurately and, you know, 
uh, do the most damage. But whatever it was, if Bruce Lee says that's his most dangerous technique, I believe him. I would agree. You know what I mean? He said the eyes are like a grape. You don't have to have Joe Frazier left hook and hit me on the chin and knock me out. You could just poke me in the eye. Yep. And that's it. And um, that's why no nobody should say who they can beat up, who they can't. The only way to prove it is to get in the ring and fight him. Exactly. And Bruce Lee dead, so I'm never going to fight him. So I'm never going to say, oh, if Bruce Lee fought me, I'd knock him out. I have no idea what would happen. Right. I assume by by his speed and size that um, he he would be landing some punches and kicks. I don't know how hard he hits, and I don't know how accurate because you know I've never seen him fight. But um, yeah, I'm not gonna just assume because I'm 185 pounds and he's 145 that I would win. Right uh, on the street, there, there's no scales; <laughs> they don't weigh us. And if you want to find someone who can beat Bruce Lee, just ask anyone in an internet chat room. <laughs> all of the, all of them can beat Bruce Lee, according to them. <laughs> well, you know what. <laughs> like wow easier said than done. there's a saying easier said than done exactly well first of all look real fighters and look michael j white's a friend of mine by the way good friend i got him a sad card by the way nice. so, but mike white said they asked him could he beat bruce lee he said, yeah yeah i'm just too big for bruce lee <laughs> and not saying that about him his technique his fighting abilities but he's just too big but that's not true that's not a definitive thing like i can't say oh i, I could beat sugar ray leonard because i'm just too big for sugar ray leonard i never fought him he's fast mm-hmm. I, you never know what's going to happen in a fight you exactly. know and, and so i would never make those kind of comments categorically that i could beat rocky marciano <laughs> or uh, Bruce Lee, right. or Mike Tyson, you know, if I can kick. And it's, yeah, there's there's no sense in that. The, the um, only way to prove who would beat anybody is to get in the ring and fight. Right. And uh, since I'm, I am retired, but I'm doing exhibitions. I got an offer an exhibition with a guy named Michelle Kesey, oh. who's a good friend of Jean-Claude Van Damme's. Oh, yeah, yeah. Michelle Tonko yep. is with the character. And um, so they're right now they presented it to the Saudi government, and uh, they're thinking about Dubai. It would oh, be wow. a pay-per-view in Dubai. And uh, I said yes, you know, because... First of all, Michelle Kesey was an amateur boxer mm-hmm. in the 80s. He's an amateur boxer. But um, we're not doing amateur boxing. We're doing kickboxing. <laughs> mm-hmm. As far as I know, he never had a kickboxing match. You know, And when they asked about me throwing kicks, he acted like, you know, kicks don't mean anything. He was ah, he can kick out all he wants. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he doesn't realize. He doesn't realize. But, you know, if you were working out with Van Damme, Van Damme was a point fighter. He was right. never a kickboxer. Yep. So maybe when they sparred, maybe Van Damme's kicks, although they're, they look good and they're quick, they look flashy, uh, maybe he didn't, um, you know, give Michelle Kesey any power. But my sidekick to the body, anybody that tries to throw a punch at me, they're doing me a favor because there's no way you can punch me without opening up your body. Yep. So, um, yeah. But the, you know what? The, the thing is, it's not a fight. It's an exhibition. Right. And um, if somebody gets stunned, they immediately stop it. They're not going to let anybody get hurt. So it's safe. And, uh, you know, the money's good. And the, the fans are going to love it. It's going to be a fun thing. Look, the, the fight that I got offered was with Roy Jones. Now, Roy, in the, it's going to be a war because uh, we both got egos. And, um, you know, he was a great light heavyweight boxer. I, I was a great light heavyweight kickboxer. And, um, yeah, we talked about fighting in the 90s, but it didn't happen. Instead, he gained weight and became a heavyweight. Then he went back to light heavyweight and then got knocked out twice. Mm-hmm. And um, I understand he just lost a fight. So that might take some of the shine off him fighting me. But I think people would want to see him. Roy and I just get in the ring and spar for eight rounds, ten rounds, whatever they make it. I'd watch that. I think I think Roy and Mike Tyson did eight rounds. I think so. Yep. Yeah, and they were two minute rounds, twelve ounce gloves, a little bit bigger gloves, and they didn't really try to hurt each other. And I wouldn't try to hurt Roy. I would just put on a show. It's right. a show. I'm just exhibiting what my you know. I know I would put some pretty hard sidekicks to his body just to keep him off me, yeah. you know, and get him to respect the sidekick. But um, yeah, I think people would watch it. I think boxing fans would want to see what happens. And I think, um, 
martial arts fans would want to see what happens with me and Roy in the ring. Yeah, that may happen. I hope so. But me, I, I just don't, you know, I don't want him to look bad. I, I don't want to look bad myself. So, you know, I'm just gonna kind of like a public sparring kind of thing. I hope so. Fingers crossed. That would be fun to be fun I to watch. People, I told him. It, I said, if you, if as long as I said nothing, I throw is going to hurt you. I said, but if you're disrespectful to me in the ring in any way, I said, well then, you know, if you want to make it a fight, it's going to be a fight because I will decapitate him then. <laughs> Nice. You know, the bombs will be unleashed because and I, I'm talking about throwing an elbow, trying to headbutt me, mm-hmm. hit kneecap or get anything that is disrespectful. If he makes a mistake, I'm not going to decapitate him. But right. if, if that's something dirty, um, I don't have respect for him in that regard. And I, I will, you know, unload a few bombs. <laughs> and you never know what can happen in a fight. I mean, he's talking nice and I'm talking mm-hmm. nice, but you know what's going to happen. Adrenaline kicks in. You never know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I got nothing against them. You know, I just gonna go out there and do. I've done many exhibitions since I retired, nice. and this will just be one more exhibition, which means I show my skills and he shows his skills. But you know, I think the exciting thing for the audience is, yeah, maybe he's, you know, he's got Van Dam in his corner. Maybe Van Dam's gonna say, "Okay, knock out that dragon." Okay, so I know you have kids now. Have any of your uh, children studied martial arts at all? They, all my children has have studied martial arts they all a have. little bit. Okay, but none of them it was not their thing. Okay. For example, I believe Brandon Lee did a little bit when he was young, mm-hmm. but it was not his thing. He didn't become the Battle of Atlanta winner. He didn't go to the U.S. In other words, he didn't, he didn't dedicate himself to that because Brandon, from what I understand, I never met him, had a real desire to be a dramatic actor. Right. He just wanted to be an actor. That, he wanted to be a good actor. He found out he didn't get cast in anything unless he did martial arts because he's Bruce Lee's son, right? Yeah. So if he does martial arts, they said, we'll star you in a movie. But if not, you know, there, there are other actors they would use. And, you, you know, the there were doors in Hollywood that kept black actors out of A-list stuff and kept Mexicans out of A-list stuff and kept Asians out yep. in those days, in the 80s. And Bruce Lee's days, even. Mm-hmm. Do you know they never thought he was the star of Enter the Dragon? Warner Brothers thought John Saxon was. Bruce was his sidekick because they needed somebody that was famous in, in fighting to be that the guy winning the tournament. Mm-hmm. So they got this strong actor with broken English. You know, Van Damme's English was kind of thick or, you know, it was kind of accent, real thick Chinese accent. And uh, Warner Brothers thought in their minds, John Saxon's a star of this thing. Mm-hmm. And I've met John. He's a nice guy. I've never met any person who watched Enter the Dragon for John Saxon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we watch it because it's Bruce Lee. And I bet John Saxon will be the first one to tell you that. <laughs> Probably. Yep. And he's a great guy, you yeah. know, but people, they, there was a perception. Now I don't call it prejudice because Chris Penn used to tell me, Don, it's not prejudice. If, if a green Martian started a movie and it was a hit, everybody would want their own green Martian in Hollywood. They don't care who you are. They just, they, they didn't think a black actor is, is a lead and an Asian actor is a lead or a Mexican actor is a lead would sell to mainstream America. And so they didn't star in films. When I came out here, there was only one Asian who had starred in an American film, and it was Shogusugi. Oh, yeah. I he suppose. was starring in a ninja movie. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And so I was the next one. Uh, I did Blood Fist, and I'm, I'm Asian American, and it's a big hit. And I did eight Blood Fist and had a career. But the doors were just, I mean, I was knocking down the doors, you know. For, you know, the, a lot of the A-list stuff that I was offered, they told me I had to do a thick accent, and I didn't do the movies. One of them was uh, was Sean Connery. Oh. It, it was called, he did it with Wesley Snipes. Uh, I don't remember. But, but anyway, it was Sean Connery, Wesley Snipes. They wanted me to be in it, and I said, I don't do accents. And so I, I guess they probably used Carrie Tadawa, as I'm recalling, 
Rising Sun. Yes, Rising Sun. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I was in Europe, and they waited for me to get back because they wanted me to play this character. And I said, uh, I didn't know that they wanted this thick accent. I said, no. And they said, you're not doing those accents. I said, no. I, I said, I want to be an action star, and I'm not doing any accents. And um, so, yeah, I guess that, that probably kept me out of a lot of other Hollywood appearances or work or whatever, yeah. that uh, I wouldn't do the thick Asian accent. First of all, you know, I think I'd embarrass myself. Mm-hmm. And um, second of all, I just, that's not what I came out of here. But, you know, Trump didn't say, hey, be a working actor. He said, come out here and be an, a martial arts star, action star. Right. And that's what I did. I had 30 movies I started. And uh, of course, now I'm, I'm 68. I don't even know if there is. Is there an action star that's 68? I don't I think they're pretty much done by then, but I'm still doing movies. Yeah. But, um, you know, the idea that I'm the up and coming kickboxer. And I'm going to do half the movie with my shirt off because I used to do those kind of movies. Um, That's not an option anymore. You know, I mean, um, I still like making movies. I'm still looking for some good scripts that are age appropriate, you know, kind of like Liam Neeson. Mm -hmm. You know, he played like an ex special force or special forces secret agent guy whose daughter gets kidnapped and he's got to do something that then all of a sudden you know, his skills are necessary yep. those kind of movies i could do like equalizer for denzel washington yeah he he's a former special operative or whatever who you know he runs into people who need help and he helps them the equalizer so i could do those kind of characters i think at okay. my advanced age well, and like there's a kit that i threw in the 90s i can't throw now so it's not like I can't do the fight scenes. I easily can do them. It's just the audiences are not my age. Right. The audiences are all young for action, especially action movies. So, um, okay. Yeah. And you know, what's what good about the uh, the way the business is changing is you don't need as big an audience anymore to be successful. Because True. we've got so many Netflix and Amazon. YouTube even has movies and there's a thing called Tubi TV. Yep, love Tubi. I'm yep. looking really well on that. Yeah, Tubi TV. Yeah, they're showing some of my old movies there. What they do is they change the artwork and they re-release them. So these 16, 17, 18-year-old fans of action movies, they've never heard of me. They've never seen these movies. To them, it's new movies. <laughs> you know, they're teenagers and they're looking for action. And, uh, it, you know, the, the success of The Matrix proves that martial arts is still popular. They throw more kicks in The Matrix than I threw, threw in my movies. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Hopefully the roles keep coming your way because I love seeing you on screen, sir. Thank you. You know, I I like doing it. And, and, you know, of course the money's good. The money's good. But but it's not just for the money, you know. Luckily, I didn't have a drug problem. (laughs) I didn't have a gambling problem. And, uh, you know, I didn't blow all my money when when I was in the 90s making. I, I made up to five movies a year when I was young. Wow. And according to Entertainment Weekly, they did a story on me. They said no actor had ever done that. But first of all, video didn't exist. Yeah. And what actor? Tom Cruise doesn't need five Mission Impossibles. Right. <laughs> they do one a year or every other year even. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's, they put $100 million in the budget. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't do it. But, but for me, I did, I shot and released, actually it was 13 months, uh, Brian, but five movies in 13 months. But they wow. call it a year, but it's so close to a year. Wow. Yeah. And they were all successful, all money makers. That's crazy. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I was, I tell people I was at the top of the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing direct video mm-hmm. back in the 80s, 90s, but I was, me and Cynthia Rothrock had our picture in Time Magazine. It was me, Shannon Tweed, Cynthia Rothrock, and an actor named Andrew Stevens. Okay. Andrew used to do what they call erotic thrillers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'd always be somebody getting killed and there'd be a girl who would take her top off. <laughs> That's a kind of erotic thriller. And, and so the four of us, we were, so popular on VHS that we had our pictures in Time Magazine or being some of the best direct-to-video stars. Because, you know, America, 
we still run the entertainment business. Right. Well, if you're an American star, you're the most popular, one of the most popular Vegas stars in America. You're popular all over the world, included. So us four uh, were considered the top four uh, direct-to-video stars. Don't remember the year, but it was in the early 90s. That's cool. All right. So I have a few fun questions to wrap things up. This one I'm, I'm really, really curious about because you, you know, so many people and you've you know, trained with and worked with so many people. Now it doesn't have to be four. It, you can, you know, I've had as few as two and as many as eight. Just give me like three, four, five names that you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts. Uh, do you mean that I, I train with or work? They don't, they don't have to be. It can be someone like a Bruce Lee. I mean, Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris are probably picked the most out of all my guests, but it's just four, four people who you think belong up there on that list. Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris, uh, Bill Wallace. Nice. For me, Nice. One of the guys I look up to. You know, you know, I'm specific because uh, I, those were kickboxers. Yeah. But there are MMA guys now that they're, they're, they're great, doing great. And I, I look up to them. And, and I've got friends of mine like Maurice Smith, great mm-hmm. kickboxer, that became an MMA UFC champion. Yep. He wanted he to cross over to uh, the MMA and became uh, MMA or a, uh, a UFC champion. Um, you know, I got a lot of respect for him and like him. And he did a great job in both this too as the bad guy. You know, I just so many guys that I work with that I like and. Like I said, Chris Pam was my best friend, and, and yes. we trained together a lot. We did. We went, he introduced me to my boxing coach at the time. Both of them, actually, uh, Pat Goosen and uh, Bill Slate. Yeah, they're they're boxing trainers of mine, and I, I met them through Chris Pam. And um, let's see what a martial artist. I hate to leave anybody out, but well, there's a, just a lot. There's a, a lot of uh, other fighters and things, you know, that, that I trained. Jack James Waring, great fighter. He was an IBF boxing champion and WKA cruiserweight champion. There's some non-kickboxers, you know, um, that um, did movies and then were, they were fighters over like Ron Van Cleef. Oh yeah, I love, uh, love Ron. Yep. Yes, Ron did the acting and the um, competition. See, he fought one of the UFC. I remember that. Horse. Yep, yeah, Ron's been on the show. He was a former guest. Great guy, great nice, great nice guy, very yep. iconic. You know, keeps us up in shape. Look, we should be the examples. And as a martial artist, you, you should have discipline. I, now listen, I, I never met Bruce Lee. I'm a little bit not that old. Because Bruce Lee didn't just say stay in shape. Just take a look at the pictures of Bruce Lee. Yeah, he was in shape. And this, I mean, you couldn't pinch an ounce of fat on him. Okay, I've had times in my life where I was in that shape. But I was fighting at the time. I was a pro athlete. Bruce Lee was not a pro athlete. He was an actor Mm -hmm. and a martial artist. And you know what? He did that for his martial arts. He didn't do that for the movies. Right. You know, uh, I believe he just lived that way. Lived in great shape. Chuck Norris is another example. He's in great shape. Mm -hmm. He's a competitor. He doesn't have an ounce of fat on him, man. He's lean. And um, that's Bill Wallace is the same way. Yeah. Bill Wallace could fight this weekend at 165. I guarantee he's not a pound over his fighting weight. When, when I interviewed him, he actually told me that. He said he's still, he weighs within a pound of what he did the day he retired from fighting. You know how many retired world champions can say that? Not many. None. Because what boxers look like. Look at what the kickboxers look like. It's almost none anyway. You yeah. know, it, you might well say virtually none. Yeah. Virtually is not exactly, but it's for all practical purposes. I told him he's a mute and he can still kick you in the face easily. <laughs> and fast. You know, I'm older, I can't bend over and touch my toes. You know, my muscles are all tight because I'm old. No, he's 10 years older. Than, no, wait, I believe eight years older than me. I'm, I'm 68. So he's 76, something like that, Bill. I think so, yeah. And yeah. can kick you in the head three times easily. 
You know, so the rest of us don't have excuses why we're not in shape, why we can't stretch. Why, no, that's really the, what martial arts should be about. Benny Akitas is in great shape. Yes. Matter of fact, I, I think in some ways he's in better shape than in his prime. In his prime, he's, I think he's like Durant. He used to put on a little weight in between fights, right? Mm-hmm. Durant used to do that. But now Benny is into healthy foods. And, you know, and, and I don't think he's become a vegetarian, but I mean, he's he looks great. He's yeah. in great shape. And, you know, I, I hope, this movie I'm doing for Cynthia, I think I'm going to have to do some shirts off stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm my diet's already started. <laughs> nice. I, I, I started. Yes. I'm going to get in shape for, for the, for her movie. And, um, but we should all be examples like that for the general public. We should all say martial arts is not just for self-defense. It's for mental health, emotional stability, and physical health as well. You know, um, being the best you can be in all aspects of your life. Hey, that's great. I love that. Yeah. If we end on something, you know, that's my philosophy. It's okay. uh, whenever I do something, I try to do the best I can. And that helped me as a fighter and it's helped me as a uh, actor. Nice. You know, I, I don't consider myself a thespian, but I try to do the best job I can. I try to find the best scripts and get the most experienced directors, uh, work with the, the better actors. I believe we should all strive to do and be our best. I like it. All right. Got a few more, a few more quick ones. How about a favorite martial arts book? Oh, darn. You know what? There was one that was, oh gosh. Well, Chuck's got Secret of the Inner Stream. I, I like that because okay. it's a good thing for you to, to emulate. Yep. And he's an actual person that I know, and I know he did it. And you see him in his life and his relationships and his, his career successes mm-hmm. that he used it and it worked. Uh, but um, Bruce Lee had a book. Gosh, I was trying, to, trying to think. Tao Ji Kundo? It might have been the Tao Ji Kundo where he talked okay. about he hurt his back and he was in the hospital. And it, that's when he wrote it. Is that the one he wrote? Is the, is the Tao Jeet Kune Do? Where he drove, he drew the pictures himself. See, t- it's technically, like, Tao Jeet Kune Do, he didn't. It wasn't meant to be a book. Yeah, he wrote his back. It, it, yeah, it was. It was. It was just notes, and the the book wasn't actually published yeah. till years after he died. Yeah, because he didn't really take pictures for it. He drew them. Yeah, he got, drew. Had a little artistic um, of talent, you know. He, he drew pictures of himself throwing punches and stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that that I've read that, and and even though he was not a pro fighter, everything he says made sense. Yeah. His fighting philosophy, I, I tell people it's like Einstein. Einstein didn't go out and make a bunch of great equipment, electronic equipment. He sat there and thought and figured out how the universe works. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the speed of light, the only constant, and, and you know, the, the predicted black holes and things that we didn't have knowledge of or instrumentation to find out if they were true or not. He predicted this stuff. And then years later, we find out, oh, yeah, that thing that Einstein said, yeah, there, there, there are quarks and there are neutrinos coming out of the sun, things that we never tested for. All kinds of stuff, physics-wise, turned out to be true. Even quantum physics, which, which Einstein doubted. Mm-hmm. But he did admit before he died, supposedly he admitted, it looks like the evidence leads that quantum physics is true. You know, he didn't like believing it. But so they said before he died, he admitted not that it was true, but he admits that the evidence appears as if it's true. He, he at least did that. <laughs> and um, that's what Bruce Lee was. And, and that's that's the way I think these um, his book and things that he, he said, he didn't start an association or anything. And and have a sport and start a sport and train. He didn't do physical things, but he, his philosophy is what we all follow. Right. He said, study everything before there was MMA. He said, study all the martial arts in the end. You'll have your own personal style. And I believe in that. And I think everybody now accepts it, but it was blasphemy when Bruce Lee said it. And, um, so he was like the Einstein of martial arts. Chuck is an example of, um, just how your character, I think his character dictated 
that he was going to work his best. He became a great fighter. He was he became a great teacher. His books are great. He became successful in movies. He became successful in film, in uh, TV. It just everything. Everything he touches goes to gold because he, I think his heart's in the right place and he uses these life lessons he learned in the martial arts to, to be successful. Definitely. So, uh, yeah. So Chuck's book, Secret of Inner Strength, and Bruce Lee's book, Tao of Jeet Kune Do. Okay, good. Uh, those would be books I, I advise. Okay. When I write mine, put, put those books on the shelves and just read mine. Well, there you go. How about a favorite martial arts TV show? Well, the, the um, Kung Fu, the Legend of Kendrick, you know, the, the TV, the, the Western with uh, David Carradine. Yep. I like that one because philosophy it wasn't fight scenes because we know we all know David Carradine yeah. is not a real martial, TV martial, martial artist. Right. Uh, yeah, that should have been Bruce Lee. But anyway. Yes. But I, I've met David Carradine several times. He, he was a great guy. He was always wonderful to me. Very generous, very kind, very giving. And I, I got nothing bad to say about him. But uh that was actually supposed to be bruce lee but they thought bruce lee looked too asian exactly have you watched the new one warrior that's actually based on his notes for kung fu that shannon and worked on shannon lee no, no i have not seen that oh you should check it out you'd probably enjoy it a lot oh okay yeah Sh- shannon oh, okay. shannon lee's behind the whole thing she went and found all of her dad's original notes on kung fu and that's how they created the tv show warrior i think it's in the third season right now well let me ask you this it's called warrior and shannon's the producer i can't remember if she's the producer or but I know she's involved with it. I know that. Oh, okay. Well, um, yeah, I'll, I'll see. Is it on Netflix or? I think Amazon? it's, I believe it's Amazon, I believe. Okay. There's so many now. You know, I watch no TV, unfortunately. <laughs> I watch no TV. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I should. I should. It's just a career thing, you know. To, yeah. Uh, I'm just dug into independent film. I've been doing that for 40 years. You know, I've been in independent films. My first film was a Chinese one in 1982. And now it's 2022, so, or 23. Wow. Uh, so then I'm really curious about this one. Now, this one, you can't pick one that you've been in. Favorite martial arts movie? Mm, I like Best the Best. Nice. Great one, Christopher Penn. Yep, I love that movie. When fighting in rings. I mean, I, I will not lie, teared up at the end of that thing. Yep. That Actually, guy, I, I had Simon Ree on the show. We talked Simon about that. Simon Ree said, I offer myself to As be your brother. brother. Yep. Yeah. And you know, I'm close to my brother, so you know that the whole brother thing was getting to me. Oh, yeah. Hey, I, I don't have I don't have a brother, and I teared up at that one. Come on, <laughs> uh, because the real truth is he wasn't an evil guy. In his entire life, he felt guilt. Yep, he felt a horrible guilt, which every fighter would if you fought somebody and, and they died afterwards. Oh, we we yeah. don't fight each other, kill each other. It's a sport. It's like you playing tennis. You hit the guy with a tennis ball on the head, he dies. Uh, how you gonna feel? I yeah. mean, it, it just yeah that. Listen, there was a genre created by Jean-Claude and, and Bruce Lee, you mm-hmm. know, of men fighting in rings. Mm-hmm. Like, you're there's a ring, and then there's a fighting. It's, it was a good excuse to have a bunch of different fights. Yeah. You know, just it's a competition. So a bunch of those movies were made. I made a couple, of, a few of them, Ring of Fire, Blood Fist. But the best one of the genre, to me, was best of the best. of Where guys fought mainly in rings in a competition, that was the best one. The most heart, the better actors, bigger budget. Yep. It was a you know decent budget. And um, yeah, the, the, the Reed brothers made the most iconic uh, men fighting in ring movie in history to me. I, I don't, I'm going back, I'm trying to think, well, I may agree. End of, end of the Dragon was the first one where there, there was an actual competition and people were fighting. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, uh, then Bloodsport. Um, if you if you count, you know, boxing, I suppose you could go with a Rocky. Yeah, there's, there's Rocky. That was a great one. Then yeah. the Raging Bull. And, yeah. But Paul Newman did one about a real boxer. And then. Um, but I think I agree, though. I think Best of the Best is at the top of that list. I mean, it's it's one of my all time yeah. favorites. Yeah, for me, that, that that would be it. All right. So. 
Final question. Now, this one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie, and again, can't be one you've done. Just a favorite movie fight scene. That's easy. Yeah? That is easy. Bruce Lee versus Chuck Norris. Nice. In the Coliseum. Not because of any flashy techniques. Mm -hmm. Because everything they throw, the average green belt can throw. It's because it's Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris. Yeah. In that era, at that time, those were the two greatest martial artists on this planet. Yep. Those two guys. Chuck proved it in the ring, and Bruce Lee proved it with his philosophy and with his just... Look, he does a scene in the movie he made right after that, at um, Return of the Dragon, I think it was called. But mm-hmm. it's the one where he produced it, and, and direct, I think he might have even directed it. But he gets in front of this a balcony, and he starts flexing. He takes a deep breath, and he flexes. You know, he's like showing off his build, really. Mm-hmm. And there's no human being that ever in history could look like that. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's not bodybuilding muscles, though. It's not like... You pumped up with steroids. You got big, these big. It's like his lats look bigger than Schwarzenegger's. They just—it's like he had wings. Yep. You know which one I'm talking about? Where he, he Fred is up, his lats just pop out. Yep. The fight scene with Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris is the best fight scene, not because of wire work, special effects, CGI, none of that. It's Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris fighting. That's why. That's awesome. I love it. That's a great answer. I think you might be the first one to pick that. So I like it. You know, Chuck was the top fighter at the time. Yep. You know, it, so it's got really a little reality based. You got a real fighter in there and you have Bruce Lee, who's a real philosopher slash uh, guru, kind of a iconic martial artist. Yeah. We got to see them both in a movie together. And it was a good thing for Chuck because it started his career. You know, yeah. he said Bruce Lee movie. And then after that, he did his own thing. Yeah. That's the, cool. the, the Roman Coliseum, I think, is the place. I mean, what better place could you pick to fight? Actually, yeah. people fought get there yep <laughs> yeah it's a location you know they of course a lot of it was on a set but they made it in the roman coliseum because people did fight to the death there right when do you ever see this happen the guy the hero of the movie kills the bad guy and then folds his belt and his uniform lays it on him bows and shows respect to the guy he fought to the death mm-hmm. so when does a guy do that yeah they, they don't do that. They fight. They spit on them when they go down. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't. And the, and the crowd laughs at the bad guy or whatever. You know, we cheer. Bruce Lee, they cut to a close-up of him when he breaks Chuck Norris's neck. Because he told him, don't come up. You know, I don't know if you remember. Chuck is wounded. He's down. He's limping on one leg. And Bruce Lee looks at him and shakes his head. No, don't attack me. Don't make me kill you. He didn't want to kill Chuck Norris. Right. Chuck goes after him. Bruce Lee grabs his neck and snaps it. And then it cuts to his face, the camera. And it's a close-up. And he looks like... He regrets it. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't want to have to kill Chuck. And then he shows all this respect when he's dead. It's just every beat of that fight is unique because they just don't do it. Yeah. Such a good scene. You know, they don't show respect to the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Great pick. Uh, definitely a great pick. So, well, Don, I, I have to thank you. This has been you know, seriously a dream come true to chat with you and have you on the show. And I loved hearing your stories and, and I, I love always meeting another fan of best of the best, obviously. <laughs> so, yeah. but it's, 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 it's been so much fun. I'm so glad we made time to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. And I hope your listeners like it. And I'd like to say thank you to all your listeners because without a fan base, I would have never had a fight career or a movie career. So thank you all. Hey, you keep doing what you're doing. We'll keep watching and cheering you on. Oh, good. I like that. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you'll join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.